greatest truths is that God is omnipresent. A young boy and his mother were having a serious discussion over lunch one day. Where is God? He asked innocently. He's in heaven, mother replied. Well, does he live there? Yes. Well, where's Jesus then? He's in your heart. But I thought Jesus and God were the same person. Well, they are. Well, how can he be in heaven and in my heart at the same time? Well, sweetheart, it's hard to explain. A short pause. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Another short pause. I think it's time you take a nap, sweetheart. (laughs) Yes, I will tell you, you will wear yourself out trying to fully grasp the doctrine of God's omnipresence. But thank God, even though we can't maybe understand it fully, we can appreciate it, and maybe more importantly, we can appropriate it into our life. Today, we're going to introduce ourselves into one of the most difficult, but absolutely undeniably true and wonderful doctrines of the Bible, God's omnipresence. Where is God? Actually, it's an important question. All sincere saints want to know where God is so they can seek him and so they can serve him. Guilty sinners also want to know where God is so they can run the other way. But the fact is, for all of us, we want to know where God is. Where do you find God? Today we're going to begin the first of three of the omni-attributes of God. When you talk about the the attributes of God, many people know these three. Omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. Omni, which means all. In our outline here, he has the credibility. God has the credibility to know what needs to be done. That's his omniscience. Not only does he have credibility, but he has the capability to do something about it. That's his omnipotence. And not only does he have credibility and integrity, but he has capability. And then, thank God, he has the availability to be wherever he needs to be. That is the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God perhaps is the most difficult of all principles for humanity to understand. Because as humans, we can't be at any more than one place at a time. But God, he can be everywhere and all at the same time. Of course, there's always somebody trying to take advantage of the attributes of God. A man was talking to God one day. God, how long is a million years? God answers, to me, it's about a minute. How much is a million dollars? To me, it's a penny. God, can I have a penny? Wait one minute. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, you can't fool God. Don't try to fool with God. And so this morning, we're going to talk about this wonderful attribute, the omnipresence of God. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this uh, amazing and wonderful truth. And though, Lord, I've enjoyed it and believed it, uh, really, as far as I know, Lord, without doubt, all these years, I thank you for the fresh insights and the glorious revisiting of this truth in my spirit this week. And Lord, I pray that somehow the sense that's in me, God, you will just put it right in the soul of every heart today. The will, and for those who are joining online, not only today, but in the days and weeks and months to come, that Lord, wherever they are, they'll get a sense of your unbelievable presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's define omnipresence for a moment. We would define it this way, perhaps the easiest. Our God is everywhere. Maybe a little more of a nuance. Not only is he everywhere, but God is everywhere at once. And if we wanted to clarify it even a little more, and maybe even more accurate, he is everywhere he wills to be. Everywhere that God chooses to be, that's exactly where he is. Now, this is an awesome fact. When God says, as John quoted a few moments ago, out of Hebrews 13, which is a quote from the book of Deuteronomy, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, that's not a Bible verse just about the fact that God is loving. That verse is about his very nature. It is impossible for God to leave us because he is omnipresent. Since he's omnipresent, it is absolutely by nature impossible for God to leave you. You may sometimes wonder if God's around. You may wonder if you're, God is where, where is God in, in this situation or in this? Well, I promise you, he's not left. He will never leave you. Now, many people today, and increasingly so, are not comfortable with the idea of an omnipresent God. They don't want to entertain the thought at all that there's a very present deity that's all up inside of their business. You might recall in John chapter 3, Jesus was having a discussion with a wealthy, influential community leader along the lines of this very topic. This man was a seeker, a real seeker. Don't get those very often. He was a genuine seeker trying to figure out where, who God was, and those kind of things. Jesus said to Nicodemus in chapter three and verse 19, do you know why more people don't become Christians? Do you know why more people don't really embrace God? Do you realize why Many people don't really get into this thing. He said, because of one very clear reason. Men, women, just humanity, humanity love darkness, meaning ignorance. People love their ignorance about God rather than light. Well, why is that? Well, one simple reason. Their deeds are evil. Their deeds are evil. He was explaining to Nicodemus that they are ignorant, not because they simply don't know. They are ignorant by choice. Friends, most people, especially in this first world we live in, and 
really around the globe for the most part, most people are ignorant about Jesus Christ by choice. Why? Because they erroneously reason. Well, if I don't acknowledge there's a God, then I'm not accountable to his laws. And that's why they especially hate the doctrine of omnipresence or the doctrine of God is light because it robs them of the good opinion that they had of themselves. This verse is a blows the whistle on their sinfulness. Now other people have an opposite problem, but similar. And that is they actually do want a God, but they want a God of their own version. They need him to be tangible. These are touchy-feely people. And that's why idols and icons and cathedrals and traditions and ceremonies and all that really means so much to them. But friends, God is not ever going to be limited by some building or by some ritual or by some ceremony or by time or space. God will never be put into any human's box. Maybe the most insightful words on this particular topic come from Psalm 139. Let's turn our Bibles there or get your iPads out or your phones or you can just watch it here on the overhead on the slides. David in a powerful statement. Now you need to know that King David was a powerful, powerful, wealthy, wealthy man. He had the ability to pretty much do whatever he wanted to do, including disappear if he wanted to. Look, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. I want to live a reclusive life. I want to just enjoy uh, the fruits of my labors. I want to uh, exit off of this world. And in Psalm 139, in fact, many commentaries say that Psalm 139 is perhaps David's finest psalm. Look what he says in verse 7. This perhaps is the single greatest passage on the, on the presence of God. Verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? By the way, we remind ourselves God is a spirit. Therefore, he can be everywhere. Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Try to name one place that God is. God is everywhere today. Verse 8. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. I remember listening to Star Trek, going where no man has ever gone before. Well, that's kind of what this verse is saying. Go into the universe where nobody has ever gone before. They are all excited about this Land Rover on Mars. And it, I must admit, it's pretty cool. That helicopter drone, you know, flying around. Folks, God's on Mars, God's wherever you want to go. God is there and you can go to the bottom of this earth. You can go into the center of the earth. God is there. Verse nine, if I take the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, go into the deepest part of the deepest sea, go there in the Marianas Trench, the Pacific Ocean, he's there. Even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. As far, friends, as the east is from the west, no matter where you go, just go ahead, get on a boat, get on a plane, get in a car, get in a train, take off on a hike. Wherever you are, when you get there, God will have a glass of iced tea waiting for you. Already there. That's what the verse says. There he is. He'll be 
holding you by the hand. Verse 11, if I say, well, surely the darkness will cover me, even the night shall be light around me. <laughs> I thought the darkness would hide me from God. Uh-uh. It's like uh, God has night vision. He has, he has those uh, goggles that you can see at night. Verse 12, yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. The night shineth like daytime. The darkness and the light are both alike unto God. Folks, there is no getting away from it. Our God is an omnipresent God. So what are the implications of the fact that God is omnipresent? Number one, the first implication is that God cannot be contained, therefore, in a building or in a place. Now, several months ago, we had the wonderful dedication of this building. It was a thrilling, thrilling moment, a great culmination of so many months and several years. We did it because that's exactly what they did in the Bible. They dedicated. Many times they would dedicate a home. They would dedicate something to the Lord. and It was made uh, special, not holy in the sense of perfect, but set apart. In the Old Testament, they dedicated the temple. This building is dedicated to the things of God. You'll never come into this building and us have a, uh, a big uh, financial bazaar in here, you know. No, we are dedicated to the Bible, to the gospel preaching. Now, during that time, we've talked about the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God is an Old Testament principle where God came in his presence. Now, is God everywhere? Yes, he's everywhere. He was already in the temple when they dedicated the temple. But his very special anointing came on that. Look what it says. And I think it brings up a great principle. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. But God, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, here's King Solomon who's giving this great message. Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. I mean, go to the heavens, meaning the sky, go to the space, that's the other heavens, and here he says the heavens of heaven, you just go on beyond that, it cannot even contain God, much less a house that I have built. Now Solomon felt very blessed to be the human instrument to lead that great congregation in the greatest Old Testament building process project for the things of God to build the first temple in Jerusalem. And one is truly an amazing accomplishment. And so when they came to that, they asked for God to come and put his anointing on the building. Now, is God already there? Yes, God was already there. But is there an anointing that can come? Yes, there is. It is a scriptural doctrine that God can come in special presence. I, I cannot tell you, I mean, this just I could not even count the number of times people said to me, there is an anointing on this campus. There is an anointing on this building. And I have, uh, from the very beginning, always sensed that. Now, does it mean it's perfect? No. Does it mean it's holy? No, not in that sense. But does it mean there's a presence, a Shekinah glory? Yes. I think it's a wonderful just affirmation of the doctrine of the omnipresence of God. But I will tell you, even though that's always the case, no temple, 
No church building, no piece of land could ever contain God. God will never be put into one specific place. In the weird, truly weird, but fast-growing cult, cult, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, the omnipresence of God is reduced to a mere ritual. Let me explain. When the Mormon boys turn 18, they have to go to the sacred temple where God physically dwells. There in that tabernacle in Salt Lake City, they have a series of strange ceremonies complete with bizarre cultic outfits they wear, culminating in wearing for the rest of their life this very unique magic underwear. Then they're given a secret name, each one. They may have it on their little chest, but each one is given a secret name, which is their true name in heaven. And they swear an oath that they will never talk about what happens in the temple because that's where God is. And then someday all of the Mormon men will be gods of their own planet once they die. Now that's just a little scope, a little scope of all the strange concepts that this man, Joseph Smith, 150 years ago. But it's all really, and part of the way he sold it was that God's presence is here. God's, uh, God's special presence is with me and in, in these uh, little plates that nobody can understand other than me, of course. And uh, then, because he was given the translation, folks, God's presence is a very important doctrine. And once it gets off, folks, we open ourselves up to all kinds of kookiness. God will never be contained in a building, a temple, a tabernacle, a piece of land, even though he's everywhere. And even though there is a, an anointing and a Shekinah glory, God said, I will never allow myself to be contained in one place. Number two, God cannot be localized in a city or a nation. Sometimes we hear of so-called holy cities in the false religion of Islam. There is no city any holier than Mecca. Supposedly, it is the birthplace of the prophet Muhammad. Every good Muslim must make at least one trip to Mecca in their lifetime. When Muslims pray, they always, wherever they might be, they always face Mecca when they pray. Mecca, this holy city, is a very large city with millions of residents. And even though they have millions of residents, you'll never see the city of Mecca, and neither will I, because it is off limits to all infidels. Infidels are anybody who is a non-Muslim. Now you ask the question, Pastor, are you saying that God is not in Mecca? Oh, no, God is in Mecca. And God is in Lodi, and God is in Stockton, and God's in Washington, D.C. Well, maybe not. But anyway, God is, uh, God is everywhere. He is. He's in Washington, D.C. They're just not listening. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 48, if you would, please. Ezekiel 48 was written 600 years before Christ. Now, 
The prophet was given many wonderful and very important local prophecies that would relate to his day. But the book of Ezekiel, perhaps more than any of the major prophets, was a book that looked forward to the future coming temple during the millennium. Christ's return in glory and power, a wonderful, glorious rule. There in these verses, in chapter 48, that's the end chapter, last verse, he then gives this message to everybody. And that is, what's the most glorious thing about the end times? What's the most glorious things about the tribulation temple? What is going to be the most glorious thing about this great end time events? Well, here's what it is. Look at verse 35. And it was around about 18,000 measures. And the name of that city, that holy city, that, that uh, heavenly Jerusalem, that uh, temple, from that day shall be the Lord is there. The Lord is there. And even in then, it's not about a temple. Even then, it's not about a building. Even then, it's not about Jerusalem. It's the fact that the Lord is there. Yes, wherever you are is holy ground. You remember what God told Moses? He said, take your sandals off. The King James says, take your shoes off. Take your sandals off. Take your shoes off right now. I mean, it's a bunch of desert and uh, cactus and rocks. No, where you are standing is holy ground. Folks, this morning, this is holy ground right here. Why? Because God is here. This is holy ground. Have you ever thought that maybe you might be getting just a little bit paranoid? Well, let me give you a common scene that plays out almost like a sci-fi thriller. You pull out your phone, you begin to thumb through the pages, and all of a sudden, up comes an ad for AirPods. You're like, uh, wait a second. Didn't I just talk to my friend about AirPods? Wait, my phone just gave me an ad about it? Stop it, is my phone listening to me? And folks, our phones are listening to us. Did you know that your phone is collecting voice data? They store it in a distant server and they use it for marketing purposes. And it is absolutely legal. Go ahead and try it. Just sit there with your phone, talk about some random subject, talk about it several times, and then watch what pops up on your Facebook over the next several days. Did you notice not only your phone that's watching, your smart TV, any speaker-assisted devices, your laptop, sound freaky? Well, folks, I'll tell you something even more sobering. God not only listens to us, He is present wherever you find yourself. Amen. He is there. And He's even more, you can count on it, He's listening even more than your phone is. Now, I'll give you a footnote, fans. If you want to turn that feature off of your phone, just see one of our techies. They'll tell you how to do that. But, but I will advise you, don't try to turn God off. It won't work. Number three, the third implication. God cannot be contained in a building or place. Number two, God cannot be localized in a city or nation. And number three, 
God cannot be reduced to an image or statue. The omnipresence of God means that he's not going to be in a statue. And that's exactly why one of the ten big commandments that God said are so, uh, such a summary of everything is the graven images command. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, Thou shalt make unto thee any graven image. Don't do it. No likeness of anything that is in heaven above, earth below, or the water. What a direct disobedience you see. No matter where you go, if you go to any kind of archaeological place, you'll see people worshiping cats and animals and whatever. God said, never bow down to a cow. Never bow down to a fish. Never bow down to an eagle or whatever it is. Because God's presence is not limited to some animal or to something. Anything that limits the attributes of God's omnipresence is something that God says is not to be worshipped. It is a physical thing. It is limiting God. It is sacrilege to the very nature of God. Have you uh, noticed when you come to the life of Christ, have you ever thought about how beautiful it would be of all the archaeological things they find? And they find so many things today. I mean, they're always finding something new, especially in Egypt. Still finding them in Israel as well, many of those Middle Eastern countries because they have such an old history. But have you ever wondered why they have never found part of the cross of Christ or his robe or his crown of thorns or anything that would pertain to Jesus? I mean, folks, think about what it would be like to have the cross that Jesus died on or to have that crown of thorns or something. I mean, folks, it would be just so special for us as believers. And yet God knew something about us as humans he knew that if we had something physical like that, sure enough, we would begin to worship that robe. I mean, we would hug it close and, and we would just think that was so special. I know I have a shirt that my dad gave me. I still have it. It's a kind of a bright red shirt and every once in a while I'll wear it. And it almost seems like I can smell, you know, my dad is a good smell, but just kind of smell. I mean, imagine what it would be like. But folks, God reminds us that you don't need the cross of Christ. That's what Paul said in Colossians 1 and verse 27. He said, you don't need the cross of Christ because you have the Christ of the cross. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so because of his omnipresence, as wonderful as it be to have a cross, crown of thorns, a robe, to have these things, the fact is, folks, we have Christ. We have his omnipresence. And finally, the fourth implication, God cannot be avoided whether we believe it or not. Now to be sure, God can be ignored, but he can never be avoided. This truth is a warning to all, especially those who struggle with God's authority. That is exactly why after the uh, disillusioned Hagar was visited by a wonderful angel, you may remember in Genesis chapter 16, Abraham's concubine, Hagar by name. She was also the mother of Ishmael. God reassured her of his mercy and care. And the Holy Spirit then did something so unique to me. I just, I'm always intrigued by this. 
God gave Hagar a special revelation of his name. And what was his name? He was the God who sees everything. Look what it says. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, the God that sees me. El Roy, R-O-I. In Hebrew, the God who sees us. Now, depending on your lifestyle, that's a good thing or a bad thing. But the fact is, folks, he is El Roy. He is a God who sees everything. You may remember back in January, we began the year by going through the book of Revelation, at least a few chapters. And we went through Genesis, excuse me, Revelation chapter 6. And in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, we find an ominous scene. It is the last half of the seven-year period of time known as the judgment, the tribulation period. Ungodly people, instead of repenting, <laughs> crazy, they have been given all these opportunities, and instead of accepting the loving offer of God's mercy and forgiveness, they continue to run. Look at verse 16. They say to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, and listen to this, hide us. Hide from an omnipresent God? <laughs> really? Hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. You gotta really be bad to make a lamb get mad full of wrath. Hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne. Well, I will tell you, good luck on that one, earth dwellers. Tell me how that works out for you to hide from God. Folks, you can't hide from God's omnipresence. Think of it. Every sin you and I have ever perpetrated was actually done in the presence of God. Jesus is watching. I know one man that named his Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> and people walk up to his house, he'd say, Jesus is watching. And uh, Jesus is watching. Have you ever noticed how that the very name of Jesus seems to make people a little bit nervous? I've noticed lately, and I looked it up this week, I've sent, noticed over the last couple of years that instead of using the term BC to describe the calendar, I've noticed that now it's regularly, in fact, mostly always BCE. At first, I didn't take much of a notice of it, thinking it, you know, maybe it was just some way of, different way of saying it. But uh, this week I got to thinking, I wonder if these Hanyakers are changing, be that's a word from my dad. I'm wondering if these guys are changing the name before Christ. And sure enough, they are. Did you know what BCE stands for? Go to any, uh, Scientific plays, archaeological finds, almost all of them now say, you know, 200 BCE, 400 BCE. It means before common era. The idea is we are not going to uh, offend any of the Eastern religion who don't believe in Christ. And of course, all the very nice atheists, we don't want to make them feel bad. But so we say before common era. It's just... How absolutely silly, folks. They're still dividing the calendar on Christ. It is still all about Jesus Christ. They just say it's the common era. No, it's Christ's era. Every time you write the date, think about it. 
Every time you write the date, 2020, 2021, 2022, every time you are acknowledging God's omnipresent and this world being divided by the birth of Christ. His birth, he is that great God. Well, because of this, there are three unshakable truths of his omnipresence I wanna share with you. Number one, God is always present anywhere in the universe. Whether you believe it or not, he's there. Jeremiah was astonished. In Jeremiah 23, the great old weeping prophet, he was just astonished at the brazen arrogance of the false professors of his day. Flippantly, these uh, false leaders were saying things like, God said this and God said that. And he was saying, don't put words in God's mouth because God is listening. Look what he said, verse 24. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. Folks, you can't get away from God. No matter who you are, where we go, you can't get away from God. He is always there. In the early days of space travel, one of the socialist Russian cosmonauts, you may remember it, some of you that are older, I even remember it, even though I was quite young. They returned from orbiting the earth. This atheist returned announcing he had looked out of his space capsule and guess what? He had been in space and he did not see God anywhere. <laughs> to which the great fundamentalist, the wonderful longtime Bible preaching pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, Dr. W.A. Criswell said, well, I'll tell you what, let him take off his spacesuit for one second and he'll see God quick enough, <laughs> truly. Folks, isn't it thrilling to know that wherever you are, you have all of God? Now, I know sometimes I might be physically present somewhere, but you can ask my wife, sometimes mentally I'm somewhere else. She'll say, where are you, honey? I'm right here, sweetie. Well, you may be here, but your mind isn't. I feel like the guy who said my mind is sometimes like my internet browser. At least 19 open tabs and three are frozen. And I have no clue where the music is coming from. And that's me. But I will tell you folks that God is always there and he's always present where he is. I think some folks are a little bit misinformed about how God works. They feel like that God is everywhere, but it's just a little bit of God everywhere. God is not all in one place. He's just spread all over. Friend, God's presence is not like a thin layer of peanut butter on our peanut bread. No, he, it's, he's all in one place. My wife and I, we have a fun time uh, about our different food habits. And when I make some toast for her, I make sure that it's a thin spread of butter. And it has to be perfect. It has to be to every little part of the bread. And I smooth it out real nice. 
But when she makes bread for me, she takes a big old blob of butter, just plops it on there. And that's, she said, you like it like that? I love it like that. Because I can have a little bit of dry toast, a big old juicy bite, a little bit of, and so that's just the way I am. But I'll tell you one, folks, I'm going to tell you something about God. When you get God, you don't get just a thin spread of peanut butter. You get the whole jar. God is everywhere. He's not just thin spread all over the world. He's everywhere we are completely present at every point in the universe all the time. He is as present as fully as he, though he were nowhere else. Now inevitably, about this point in the message and about this point in this truth, some pea-brained philosophy professor at a local university, going down there on Pacific Avenue, you'll be able to find one, under the guise of broadening the horizons of these students, only, of course, really to try to sadly shake their faith. Listen closely. Here's what that philosophy professor will say. Well, if God is everywhere, then God must be impure. Because God, then, is in all the evil of the world. Oh, <laughs> How about that, students? <laughs> wow, you are so smart. I mean to tell you, you, you're just so smart. I want to tell you something, friend, that is stupid. Let me tell you why it's stupid. Because you can take a ray of sun, and it can shine on a manure pile, but the sun is never touched by that pile. It stays the same. It may heat up that pile, and God is definitely doing that with this world right now. He's heating up this manure pile. But God is never changed. His holiness is always intact. He is his own antidote against evil because he is a holy God present all the time. We may not know it or see it or sense it, but he's there. Did you know that right now there are tens of thousands of waves going through this room. Electromagnetic waves, microwaves, sound waves, light waves, radio waves, gamma rays, x-rays, TV rays, high frequency, low frequency. They're all invisible, but right now they're just flooding this room. Even though, the, and even the founder of Tesla is beaming things down from his constellation up there. And we're signed up for it, by the way. And, but I'm going to tell you, folks, the reason we're not getting it is because we don't have the right receptors. Now, if you get the right little instruments, you'll be able to check in on all those invisible waves. Well, I don't see God. That's because you don't have the right instruments. Or you may have their instruments, but they're not on, friends. But when you get saved, when you take Jesus in your heart, you turn on that instrument, and all of a sudden, I, I cannot believe. What a difference. I got a precious email this week, and I, uh, I want, and brother, I know you're probably listening, but uh, I just, uh, they've moved, and uh, what, a, what, a, what a special delight. But in that email, he just told how grateful he was for the church and all of you and for the staff and what's been he said how he said I cannot believe how my life has changed in one year a year just when he turned on the receiver 
All those waves that had always been there were getting through. Oh, I just don't know if I get it's about God. That's turn it on. And God is omnipresent. You'll be surprised what will happen. Well, not only is God always present anywhere in the universe. Number two, God is always near anyone who will draw near to him. Now, there are many reassuring promises in Scripture about God's nearness. But in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus said, I am with you always. There you go. That should settle it right there. By the way, that's a wonderful promise because it's about when we are witnessing, Jesus said, I'll be there with you. <laughs> you never witness alone. That's why sometimes when you feel a little bit... Uh, Oh, you know, maybe not uh, like real connected to God. Just start passing out tracks. You'd be surprised how you'll feel connected to God because Jesus said, I am always with you. Now tonight, we're going to have a wonderful service. Traditionally, it is called a baccalaureate service. Now the baccalaureate service is a service that's a spiritual service, really about those who are graduating, sometimes from college, many times high school. When I was a... Uh, Graduated from high school back in the 1800s. I, um, I, they had a Sunday night service there in the community, and it was a baccalaureate service. Now, at a baccalaureate service or other kind of official services, I think we may have even had it uh, on our little program um, when we had a grand opening. Sometimes you'll read that the beginning of a service, it will say an invocation. Different from benediction, right? That's at the end. But an invocation. If you've ever thought about that word, what are they doing? It is some time ago, some English person, a couple hundred years ago, they said, we are invoking. We are inviting is really the word. We are inviting God into this service. That's why it's put at the beginning of a service. An invocation. We invite God. By the way, you should come tonight because Pastor Luke's going to preach. It's going to be good. But uh, we're going to have an invocation at the beginning. We're going to pray and say, Lord, we invite you in. Now, while that's a good tradition and while there's nothing wrong with it, I will say, scripturally, the fact is we don't have to invite God into the service. He is already here. He is already here. You'd say, well, how close is he? That's exactly what all those people were wondering in Paul's day. And Paul said, I'll tell you how close he is. I never saw him until I got saved. Look at Romans chapter 10. The day I took Jesus as my Savior, it all made sense. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 6. We're going to be ending in verse 8. It's a, I love verse 8. Look at verse 6. The righteousness which is of faith. By the way, never imagine that faith is not without this wonderful sense of righteousness. Speaketh on this wise. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? Wherever we find God, do we go to heaven? No, we don't have to go to heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Verse 7. Wherever we find God. People were saying, Paul, I don't know where God is. Where is God? People were saying, shall we descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead? <laughs> he said, no. You don't need to travel all over the world. Running here, running there. I'm just looking for God. Folks, you don't need to do that. Now here's the culmination. Look at verse 8. But what saith it? 
The word is nigh thee. How close is it? Even in your mouth, you have God as close as your breath and in your heart. It's a word of faith, the very thing I'm preaching. God's presence is like the air we breathe. It is everywhere, odorless, tasteless, invisible, and yet for our very existence, we depend on it. Folks, Jesus is the air we breathe. He is an omnipresent God. There is a third unshakable truth this morning, and that is that God is always there anytime, especially in the worst moments of life. God is there. God's omnipresent means that even though you're suffering today, God is there. God's omnipresent means that even in the midst of pain, God is there. That means that even in the midst of sickness, God is there. In the midst of sorrow, God is there. And in the midst of grief, God is there. He never has left you. He's always there for you. I've shared this illustration with you several times, and it's always uh, it's a very special moment for me. But in the year when Lynette died, and there were so many other things going on about that time, and not only in the ministry, but in our lives. My mom was very, very sick and would die just a few short months later. I remember at the end of that year, being in my private time, and boy, I tell you what, I felt like a person with PTSD. I mean, I, honestly, it was just tough. But the strange thing about that year was that I, I don't know that I'd ever been any closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, uh, what they, the scripture says that the sleep of a, a laboring man is sweet, you know, and to, to a person that's uh, hungry, even a bitter thing tastes sweet, you know, and so... I, I can tell you, these were sweet moments I spent with the Lord. I came to the end of the year, and I can remember out loud saying this to the Lord. End of the year, done, praise God, made it through, turned the calendar, hallelujah, wow, done. And I told the Lord, I am so done with this last year. I'm so done. And at that very moment, I felt like, almost like uh, that guy that saw the handwriting on the wall, you know, all of a sudden I began to, I mean, honestly, it was like a, it was a weird moment. I felt like God, almost, like, like the, I felt like the Nathan prophet, prophet Nathan was sticking his long bony finger in my face. Done, huh? Done? You're done? Really? You're done. You're done with the year that I was with you every step of the way. You mean the same year that I never one time walked away from you. Never one time did I let you go. Never one time did I leave you on your own. Never one time. I listened to every prayer you ever prayed. I caught every tear that you wept. I was there every moment. And you're done with this year, huh? 
So I guess you're done with me. Woo! 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 I'll tell you one thing. I fell on my face and I said, God, I am so sorry. I'm not done with you. I did not recognize you were there like I should have. In 2 Kings chapter 6, faithful Elisha, the preacher, talking to his scared servant. They were in Dothan. The mighty armies of Aram had completely surrounded the people of God. The servant was looking at the enemy, opposition on every side, and he was shaking in his boots. And Pastor Elisha basically told him, in essence, suck it up, son. God opened his eyes for a minute. And there, in that passage, 2 Kings 6, 16, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And he prayed, and his spiritual eyes were opened. Verse 17, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, why did God put that story? Show that little picture. Why did God put that story in there? So that we could go, wow, that was really cool. <laughs> Folks, God is saying, should I open your eyes today? You would see, I've got a mighty army around you this morning. I've got a mighty army around you all the time. That is, and if God's presence is always there. Maybe you don't need to move to a new state, friend. Maybe you just need to see God surrounding your life right now. Maybe you don't need a new job. You just need to see God surrounding the job you got. Maybe you don't need another marriage, another wife, another husband. Maybe this morning you just need to see God surrounding you right now. Maybe you just need to see God for a second. I know I do. I think sometimes we need to say, where's God? He's right there. I close with this passage. Psalm 23, a very familiar passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me though I, uh, in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, now notice the change in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. Oh no. Now the shepherd's psalm changes. Now it's not just God, this wonderful omnipresent God that's out there. You are with me. Your rod, thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Why? Because no longer is it sufficient that the shepherd be in front of the pack. Now, these are some tough times. These are some difficult moments. Death is not an easy thing. Many people are afraid. And I, it's, no, it's no little matter. I know if you get a, an announcement from the doctor or some other thing, I know it's, not, it's a fearful thing. Friends, you need to know this. But though that time comes, and all of us will go through that moment. We're all going to go through it. Can you know this? 
Can you know this morning that that God who is an omnipresent God will then be with you? He moves from the third person to that first person. He is there walking right beside you all the way. Paul mentioned his fellow laborers, fellow soldiers. <laughs> I love Paul. He talked about so many that served alongside of him. Talked about Silas, talked about Luke, Aristarchus, Demas, so many others. He was very grateful. Timothy, Timotheus, so many others who had been there for him. And he didn't take it for granted. He I was very grateful how that God had brought them to his side at a time of great need. There have been so many in my ministry, in my life, who have I've had the privilege of being co-laborers with in the past and still today. There's one example I just want to share with you this morning who's been always there. This man, over 20 years, very educated, quite capable, Norman, a spirit too. You may not know that, may not even know much about Norman, and you know who he is. But this man has been, uh, for me, so often there. So many times I'd call him up and say, Norman, could you take us here, take us there? And without a hesitation, always the same response, Pastor, it's my privilege. And for these decades, we have gone everywhere together. You probably didn't know that. I have this personal driver. and. Uh, if he feels like it's his uh, ministry, and I know it's certainly my blessing. One particular day, and I think it kind of reminds me of this passage in this whole sermon. I had to go to a funeral, and it was a far away, and I said, would you be able to drive me there? And, and we went there, and the uh, cemetery was a very up a hill and rugged, and I don't know how people got up there. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was rugged. And uh, before I had my surgery on my ankles, it was even still a little challenging, but then, boy, it was really hard. And I, th I looked at that and thought, how in the world am I going to get up to that cemetery? <laughs> how am I going to get up there and then stand there? And uh, Norman intuitively said, Pastor, let's go. I'll, I'll be there. And so like a, like a divine uh, living crutch. He said, you just put your hand on my shoulder. And so there I was, my hand on his shoulder, and we made our way up that hill, got up to the top. I stood there with him, and, and uh, we made, and then making our way down was even more challenging. I've thought about that several times over the years. That's Jesus right there. Jesus says, you know what? When you're having a tough time, and when uh, you have a hard time standing, and when these difficult moments come, I want you to know something. I will be with you every place. Not one moment will I leave you. I will never leave your side. I, I wouldn't. No more would he have just walked away from me than Jesus. No, he would never have done that. And friend, Jesus never will for you. Never. I don't care what you've done. It may be rotten, but Jesus says, I will forgive you. I will wash it away. I don't care where you've been. He will be there. And I don't care what burden you carry this morning. You know something. There is an ever-present God who is with you. 
I'm going to ask our worship team to come. During the life of Christ, they called Jesus by a name. The prophet stood up and said, His name is Emmanuel, God with us. What better truth and what more glorious fact than we have God with us. Emmanuel. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.